0: Good evening. evening. I like this platform. It gives me the uh, illusion that I'm tall. Skip was always taller. I was always shorter. But God is going to even that out when we get to heaven. I often think that if Christianity were Amway, I would be a diamond dealer. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 15 and while you're turning there, I do want to thank you. Um, Your prayers and your support of our church and our ministry over the years has been a blessing. My church, our church, Calvary in Littleton, Colorado, is just a few blocks from Columbine High School. I'm just so happy to be here. I just got to get my composure here for a second. I didn't plan to do this, but um, <laughs> you know, my wife is with me. she's not here this evening. she's going to be here for tomorrow's service, but she's been very ill. and um, God has blessed us. She's doing wonderfully, she's well, and uh, we are grateful to God because she's just experienced real healing in her life, and so I'm very grateful for that.) <laughs> Oh, I got to stop. We just got to do this study, or else I'm just going to cry and stuff, and it's just going to be miserable. So let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 15, and you guys pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you, Lord. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the ministry of Calvary in Albuquerque. Lord, I thank you that it has made an effect not only in this uh, great city and great state, but across the nation. Lord, I'm also grateful for my friendship and my relationship with Skip. And Lord, I pray this evening for each person who's found their way into this sanctuary. Lord, I pray primarily for that person who finds themselves here and their heart is heavy, perhaps even empty. Lord, they need hope in their life. And Heavenly Father, we know that you are the source of hope and we know that the Scriptures give us hope. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that those who have hope will give it and those who need hope will take it. And Heavenly Father, as we look at the heart of the minister, a heart filled with compassion, a heart strengthened with courage, a heart directed and called, a heart committed to the things of God, a heart that carries Christ to a lost and dying world. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be the heart of a minister, the heart of a servant. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 15, we're going to look at verses 14 to 21. You might just want to read along with me. In Romans 15 verse 14 it says, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me, in word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, and so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard shall understand. I recently read an interesting um, observation by Fred Smith. He wrote, as a speaker, I've always accepted the responsibility of people listening to me. I've never been able to rationalize that I'm too deep for them and they simply have to listen harder. I came by this conviction many years ago while driving through the farm country of Indiana to make a speech. I was just starting out as a speaker and my talks were getting heavier and heavier. That means harder to understand. Although I was greatly pleased with what I heard, I found that I was talking to fewer and fewer people. Then suddenly, there in the field, that spring day in Indiana, I saw the model for my public speaking that would last my whole life. A man was plowing with a single mule and there must have been 50 chickens following him. And as I watched, this thought began to grow in my mind. The chickens will always follow the fella who's plowing up the worms. I realized then that I had to feed people not only what I thought would feed them, but what they're really hungry for. Over the years, I found it's always the same. If you want the chickens to follow you, you have to turn up the worms. And when you do, they'll be there I promise you... You know, it's interesting about this passage. Pain and suffering is the universal experience of human beings. Paul knew that people were starved for hope. As a matter of fact, you don't have to live very long on the planet Earth to realize that sometimes there are trials and sometimes there are tragedies and sometimes there are circumstances and people whose lives are collapsing and marriages are collapsing who face trauma and disability and discouragement, they need hope. Paul knew that people were starved for hope. People in crisis need hope. And Paul has reminded the Romans that the Scripture is the source of hope. If you look just at verse 4, look what it says. It says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and the comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. The Scriptures become the source of hope. And then look at verse 13. It says, Now the met, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, if there is a conspicuous absence of joy or a conspicuous absence of peace in your life, then the chances are you need hope. You see, there really are only two kinds of people in the world. Italian people and people who wish they were. No, that's not the kind. That's not the kind. There are those who have hope and there are those who need hope. And before the evening's out, I'm hoping that those of you who have hope will give it. And that those of you who need hope will take it. Now, I want to remind you of the context of this passage. Jews and Gentiles were supposed to live together in Christ. They're to preserve the ministry of unity in Christ towards one another. In spite of failure to cooperate with God, uh, they were supposed to put the differences aside. You see, conflict is inevitable, but division is not. I need to repeat that. Conflict is inevitable, but division is not. And so failure to cooperate with God, failure to cooperate with the Holy Spirit can sometimes lead to personal tragedy. The greatest crisis of our lives often emerge because of careless disobedience to the commands of God. I don't know about you, but the biggest trouble that I've ever been in my life is because God told me not to do something and I decided to do it. Of course, I'm sure that none of you have that problem. In this passage, Paul offers a peek into the pastor's heart. What kind of minister is Paul? By the way, if we listen carefully to Paul's heartbeat, we can get a glimpse of what God desires for you. The reason being, God has called you to be a minister. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, you know, cross and collar, wingtip shoes, that doesn't describe me. No, when I say minister, I simply mean one who serves. You see, the minister is a person who is willing to serve on behalf of Jesus Christ. The heart of the servant is the sanctuary of the Lord. And so, God has called you to be a minister. That's what it means. It just simply means one who serves. You're called to serve Jesus. And in your service to Jesus, you're to serve others. So many people are in crisis. Many people need help. Many people need hope. And so you know what Paul is going to suggest? That you be the instrument of hope. That you become the instrument of joy. Who better than you to be a person who makes a provision of hope in the heart of a needy person? So look at verse 14. A heart filled with compassion. In verse 15, a heart strengthened by courage. In verse 16, a heart directed and called. In verses 17 through 19, a heart committed to the things of God, verse 20 and 21, a heart that carries Christ to a needy world. Look at verse 14 again. Paul writes, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, able also to admonish one another. I like this particular passage. In the New Living Translation it says this, I am fully convinced, my dear brothers and sisters, that you're full of goodness. You know these things so well that you're able to teach others about them. Paul tells the Romans, You are full. You are filled. You are able. Do you understand what's happening? Paul's heart is a heart that's filled with compassion, with graciousness towards his brothers and sisters in Rome. He isn't the guy who says, hey, look, I'm Paul. I'm, I wrote one third of the New Testament. Hey, I am this big holy guy. I know you don't see me on TV or listen to me on radio, but I'm an important person and you should listen to what I have to say. No, he doesn't say that. He basically compliments the brothers and sisters. Now, by the way, it isn't always a compliment when someone says, you're full of it. I know. So when Paul says, you're full of it, what are you full of? You know, this reminds me of a Skip Heitzig story. Well, okay, this particular preacher will remain unnamed. But there was this preacher who asked another preacher about his sermon. And he said, hey, what did you think of the sermon? And he said, well, I think it was warm. I go, what do you mean? Warm. He goes, not so hot. Okay, enough of that. Paul doesn't pretend to be better than Joe Average Christian. Paul is gracious and compassionate. And remember, he reminds the Romans they're filled, look, with all goodness and with all knowledge. Now, does this mean that they're morally complete or intellectually intact? I mean, if they go on some sort of Bible Jeopardy program... Yes, I'll take Roman emperors for a hundred, Alex. Name the Roman emperor who preceded Augustus, Julius. No, it, it doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that you know everything about everything. And it doesn't mean that you are completely good. What it's talking about is that the presence of Christ, who is all-knowing and all-compassionate, fills you The word admonish is very interesting here. It means competent, literally, being able to instruct. The Greek word is nothatain, to counsel or admonish one another. J. Adams translates this competent, to counsel. The idea is, again, you are filled with goodness and knowledge because the moment that you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, Jesus comes and He lives inside of you. And because Jesus lives inside of you, and if you are full of Jesus, and Jesus is full of goodness, and Jesus is full of compassion, then you are full of goodness and you are full of compassion. That's the idea. As a matter of fact... In Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul will write, For it is pleased God to tell his people that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles. Now remember, a Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew. My father was from Sicily. My mother was descended from Hungarian Jews. I walked by a bank. I don't know whether to hold it up or buy it. That's some pretty serious cultural ambivalence that I have to struggle with. Paul is making it abundantly clear that Christ... Is for the Gentiles. He says, "For this is the secret." In Colossians chapter one, verse twenty-seven, he says, "This is the secret: Christ lives in you, and this is your assurance that you will share in His glory." In verse twenty-eight of of chapter of Colossians chapter one, it says, "So everywhere we go, we tell everyone about Christ. We warn them and teach them with all wisdom." The, the word "warn" in Colossians chapter one, verse twenty-eight, is the same word here. To instruct, Paul doesn't believe that the senior pastor is the only person who's competent to counsel. Paul does not believe that he's the only one who can impart hope by the wonderful promises of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know what Paul is doing? Paul is giving the Christians in Rome, listen carefully. Permission to love each other. Permission to counsel one another. Permission to confront one another. Permission to minister to each other. Do you understand what He's doing? When He gives people permission to counsel, to instruct, to warn, to encourage, to lift up, to impart hope, He's doing exactly the same thing for you and every generation. In other words, this is going to come as a shock to you. You don't have to wait around to get a call from the pastor in order to have permission to love each other and care for one another and have compassion for one another. That's the bottom line. Paul is giving the Christians in Rome permission to do exactly that. The heart of hope links people to the restoration of a right relationship with God and with each other. Now listen carefully. Does this mean that Paul doesn't believe in professional counseling? Not necessarily. Do you know what it must mean? It must mean that Paul does not subscribe to the unbiblical notion that only professionally trained counselors are competent to give hope in Christ. I'm going to say this several times so you need to listen. The least qualified Christian is more qualified than the most qualified unbeliever to give you hope in Christ. I'll say it again. The least qualified Christian is more qualified than the most qualified unbeliever to give you hope. Now, remember what Paul has said. All believers are full of goodness. The Greek word is mestoi, agathasune. Now, some of you are familiar with that old word, agatha. Maybe you even had a hundred-year-old aunt named Agatha. And you thought, agatha, hagatha. No, agatha is actually a beautiful word, and it's a beautiful name. Agatha means full of kindness and helpfulness. My name, Gino, it means... The cattle have died. So when Paul says that you are full of kindness and helpfulness, of virtue, excellence, peace, he's describing this inner character of riches. And so many Christians say, I'm not competent, I'm not qualified, I'm not equipped, I'm not trained to deal with people's problems. But I'm here to tell you, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, this is what Paul says. Paul says, May you experience the love of Christ, though it is so great you'll never fully understand it. Then you'll be filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. In other words, Paul says depth and comprehension of all things is not the criteria which qualifies you to give hope. The thing that qualifies you to give hope is because you've experienced the love of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with the Father and peace with God. Do you realize that the most important conversation that I've probably ever had in my life was with my best friend, Skip Heitzig, when I was 16 years old. Now think about this. I'm the pastor of a church. I have a daily radio program. I'm a chaplain of a police department. I had the privilege of being at Columbine and Ground Zero with your pastor. I've spoken literally to tens of thousands of people. But perhaps the most important conversation that I ever had, I was 16 years old with your pastor in my bedroom, and Skip came up to me, and I started sharing with him about Christ. And you know what he did? You you, you know how tall he is and how short I am. He picks me up by the lapels. He pushes me up against my bedroom door, and he says, you're not even a good Catholic. You should just shut up. And I said, What do you want me to do? Do you want me to lie to you? Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead. And you know what? You can have a real relationship with him and fellowship with him. You know me. If God can change me, he can change anybody. You see, it isn't the depth of knowledge or understanding that you have. It's entering into the experience of having a right relationship with God. If Jesus lives inside of you, then the fullness of life and of power and of love lives inside of you. Paul says that you're filled with all knowledge. no Noseos. That means spiritual insight, perception, knowledge of God and the Holy Spirit. Do you know the spiritual need of human beings? Do you know that human beings are in bondage? Do you understand the devastating effects of sin? Do you understand the spiritual truth of the gospel? Do you understand the power of God to expose sin, forgive sin, redeem us, reconcile us? Then you are qualified. The least qualified Christian is more qualified than the most qualified unbeliever to give hope. Do you know why I'm telling you that? I'm telling it to you because sometimes you're afraid that you don't have enough knowledge or information in order to share with the people that you care the most about. Listen, Christian. We are not hopeless and we are not helpless. We're to abound in hope. How can we be helpless if we're able to experience the joy and the peace and the power of the Holy Spirit since we have the inexhaustible resources of the Holy Spirit? Why in the world would we rely on the resources of this world and their unproven and flawed theories of human dysfunction? i got to tell you something. In high school, I was voted most likely to go to hell. You think that's funny? My brother was voted most likely to marry outside of his own species. You think that's funny? Skip Heitzig hung out with us. Why do Christians drink from polluted wells and broken cisterns when they have pure... Fresh, living, water. We had a tough time getting water in India. Skip and Rawl and I, we go to India and we do outreaches and missions and stuff. And we take Rawl with us, right? Now you guys know Rawl Reese, right? He's come here and spoken to you, right? Rawl, he'll be in India and he'll go. And then Paul received the the vision of the man from Academia saying, come on over. And the guys from India go, We are not understanding what Brother Raul is saying. I said, It is no problem. I will translate for you. What Brother Raul has said is, Paul received vision from the man from Macedonia. And they go, We understand you, brother. We seem to be using the same vocabulary, but we have different dictionaries. Look at verse 15. Nevertheless, this is a heart strengthened by courage. Nevertheless, brethren, I've written to you more boldly on some points, reminding you because of the grace given to me by God. In other words, Paul's heart isn't just simply filled with compassion, it's filled with courage and boldness. And do you know why? Because Paul has earned the right to be bold. The Lord God called Paul to be a minister to the Gentiles. You guys know the story of his conversion, right? It's found in Acts chapter 9. This young rabbi from Tarsus is schooled at the, at the feet of Gamaliel. He's a Pharisee. He's a persecutor of Christians. Then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. Jesus saves Saul and transforms him into Paul. In Acts chapter 9, verse 15, it says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine, speaking to Ananias, Go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer. For my name's sake, Paul gets saved. He gets transformed. Now Paul, armed only with the good news and an unshakable faith, in the Lord Jesus Christ would shake and shape Rome, the proud mistress of civilization, because Paul has a missionary's heart. He has been changed. And in that change, he's overcome with a sense of gratitude. Do you know what? Gratitude will make you bold. You see, the truth is, when Jesus Christ comes into your life and He changes you, and you tell people, it's hard to argue with that. Jesus Christ changed me. Liar! No, the Lord changed me. You see, coming into a right relationship with Christ, being changed creates boldness. Last month was the anniversary of Columbine. The graduating class this year were freshmen in April, when Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold came into the school and shot basically 13 people and wounded 21 other people. One of the girls who was wounded goes to my church. Her name is Val Schnur. And um, she was in the library on the day of the shooting with Cassie Bernal and with Lauren Townsend. Lauren Townsend was her best friend. And you guys are all familiar with the story how they said, Do you believe in God? And Cassie said, Yes. And they shot her. And they came to the table where Val was hiding underneath the table and and they said the same thing to her. They said, Do you believe in God? And Val Schnur said, Yes. And one of the, the gunmen stuck the shotgun underneath the table and pulled the trigger and shot her in the side. But she was still alive. And he asked her again. And I remember when I was talking to her. And Val said, I knew. I knew that if I said yes, he was going to shoot me again. But I couldn't help it. I had to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. I had to honor God. You see, one girl said yes and she died. Another girl said yes and she lived. A few days after their death, Mindy Bernal, Cassie's mother, was in front of a number of cameras. (laughs) And the birds were singing. And she said, I woke up this morning and the birds were singing. And then she said, how could they? And then one stupid journalist said, What gives you the right to talk about God and talk about Jesus? And Mindy Bernal said, When your child has been shot, it gives you the right to declare your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see... When God comes into your life, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes into your life and touches you and changes you, it gives you a boldness. And that's exactly what has happened to Paul. His heart is filled with compassion. His heart is filled with courage. And look, it's a heart that's directed and called by God. Look at verse 16. It says, "...that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ." To the Gentiles, ministering the gospel, the good news of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified, or made holy, or set apart by the Holy Spirit. Now, you know what's interesting about this particular passage of Scripture? The Greek word for minister here isn't the usual word. The usual word is diakonos. We get the word deacon. It speaks of a person who waits or serves at tables. A person who who gives and serves. The Greek word here is liturgon. It's very interesting. He uses a word that means to perform sacred rites and rituals. In other words, we get the English word liturgy from that. This word was used to describe a person who functioned in a priestly service. One Bible writer, uh, John Phillips, uses this example of Moses who had a heart for the people of Israel. God placed on Paul's heart this priestly calling on the behalf of the Gentiles. Think about it for just a moment. Here's what Paul is saying. I am a priest of God. I'm making an offering that is a bloodless sacrifice of the Gentiles. Paul wants the Gentiles to be holy and acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. In other words, Paul's holy task was to devote himself to presenting the Gentiles to God. Part of Paul's purpose in life was to prepare and present the Gentiles to meet God. Now you know what's interesting about that? That's exactly your pastor's job. Your pastor's job as he's talking with you on Saturday night or on Wednesday night or on Sunday morning as Skip preaches, as the other pastors like Paul and and the rest of these guys here at Calvary, when they're instructing you and teaching you, it is their job to instruct you and, and to present you holy and blameless before God. In other words, each and every one of you are going to die, I guarantee it, unless... You're suddenly and mysteriously taken away in this in a a wonderful rapture. But barring a rapture, barring the second coming of Jesus Christ, each and every person listening to that sound of my voice is going to one day die. And when you die, you're going to meet God and you're going to have to have the right thing to say to God. If God says to you, why should I let you into heaven? And if you say, well, I'm basically a good person. And your heart goes, liar. You're not basically a good person. You ever lie? Only on occasion. You ever think lustful thoughts? Only on occasion. Well, you've already admitted you're a liar and a cheat. How good could you possibly be? Well, what am I supposed to say? You're supposed to say something like this. I am a dirty, rotten, stinking, gravy-sucking pig. Sinner, lost, hopeless, deserving of death and hell. And I believe that Jesus Christ came to the earth and He lived a perfect life and He died on the cross for my sins and He rose from the dead. And I was told that if I put my full faith, my complete confidence, if I trust Jesus completely for my sins, then I could be saved. And I know some of you go, I can't remember all that. Okay, let me just try and make it short then. The Bible says that we're saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God, lest any person should boast. If you are trusting in anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation and redemption, then yours is a false hope. You see, that's the heart of the pastor, that's the heart of the minister. That's why your pastor comes here week after week and month after month and faithfully declares to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, it is true. I've known Skip since I was 13 years old. And we're old now. Don't let the gray hair fool you. It's gray because I fully am old. But the truth is, the heart of the pastor who faithfully and patiently ministers in compassion and courage and a direction and a calling provides hope. Kent Hughes writes, Here we are exposed to Paul's remarkable self-conception. Though he's involved in the dusty, mundane business of traveling the ancient world on foot, suffering exposure, threats, beatings, rejection, in his heart of hearts, he sees himself in priestly garb in the temple, lifting up the souls of men which then ascend as a sweet-smelling fragrance to Christ. Christ. See, you may see yourself in the kitchen doing the dishes, changing the diaper, working at the car wash, working at this particular place, working at that particular place, whatever it is, whether you're a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker, a scientist, whoever you are, whatever you're doing, you may think, well, this doesn't really mean a whole lot. But you see, in the heart of the servant, in each place that you serve, As you change the diaper, as you do the dishes, as you minister to the elderly, as you work in the children's ministry, as you clean the carpet, as you change the lights, whatever it is that you do and whoever it is that you are, If you see your service to Jesus Christ as a sacred duty, as as a sacred comforting role that God has called you, that's a heart that's directed and called. God called Paul and directed him into the ministry. That's what it's saying. Christian, God has called you to provide direction for hurting people, not just a bandage in the midst of a crisis but a safe pasture that's bordered by unconditional love, a corral that's fenced in by biblical correction. God has called you to the ministry of hope and reconciliation. And Paul is trying to convince you that it's your job. It's your responsibility When the woman comes to you and she's crying because her husband has left her. When a husband comes to you and he's weeping because his wife's been diagnosed with breast cancer. If a person comes to you because they've just lost their job. If the person comes to you because they've just lost their child. And you say, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. It really isn't pithy. It really isn't just a platitude. It isn't really superficial. When you look a person in the eye and you say, I love you. And I'm praying for you. And I'm praying that the strength of God and the power of the Holy Spirit is going to enter into this situation and provide you hope. For this moment, as you have to survive one more day in that wheelchair, as you have to survive one more day in that marriage that you think is hopeless and helpless, as you survive one more day and you wonder if today is the day that the Lord is going to take you, God has called you to the ministry of hope and reconciliation. And look at verse 17. It's a heart that's committed to the things of God. In verse 17, Paul writes, Therefore I have reason to glory in Christ, Jesus, in the things which pertain to God, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum... I fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now, Illyricum was a Roman province in the Balkan Peninsula. It stretched along the eastern coast of the Adriatic Sea, from Italy to Macedonia. In other words, Paul preached from Jerusalem all the way up to Illyricum. This was known also as Dalmatia. Today, the region is known as the former Yugoslavia and Albania. I told you guys my father's from Sicily, and my father would travel a lot. And when he would be gone, when he would come home, I would say, Dad, where have you been? And he'd say, Gino, you know, I've been everywhere from Maine to Spain. That's exactly what Paul means here. He's been everywhere. Paul has traveled 1,400 miles from Jerusalem to the former Yugoslavia, all without a bus, all without a car, all without modern transportation. Paul's transportation was his own two feet shod with the gospel of peace. These ancient Birkenstocks that he wrapped around his toes. He walked, he talked, he prayed, he preached. And then Paul dreamed a dream and had a vision of a Roman world that was transformed by the power of Jesus Christ when Paul got saved and the Lord showed up and said, go and preach the gospel and reach the Gentiles. You know what Paul did? He actually believed it. He believed he could do it. And you know, that's exactly what happened to your pastor and, I, and, and me when we were young children. We're part of this Jesus movement. We know what wicked, stupid, weird, worthless people we are. And then God saves us. And he transforms us. He fills our hearts with compassion and He strengthens us with courage. He calls us into His ministry and then He asks us to be committed to the things of God. That's exactly what Paul is doing. He's engaging in some sanctified boasting. Sanctified because his soul makes his boast in the Lord. He says, therefore, I have reason to glory in Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying, I have a legitimate reason to exalt in the work of God and what I do through Jesus Christ. The things that I've accomplished. Eugene Peterson adds real insight into this particular passage. He says, Looking back over what's been accomplished and what I have observed, I must say I'm most pleased in the context of Jesus. I'd even say proud, but only in that context. I have no interest in giving you a charity account of my adventures. Only the wondrously powerful and transforming present work and deed of Christ in me that triggered a believing response in the outsiders in such ways I've trailblazed a preaching message of Jesus all the way from Jerusalem to northern Greece This has all been a pioneer work. Bringing the message only to those places where Jesus has never been known and worshipped. This was my text. Those who were never told about Him, they'll see Him. Those who never heard of Him, they'll get the message. That's the point. When I look around and I look at your face... And I see the work that God has accomplished in this particular church and this particular ministry. I know that your pastor didn't have anything to do with this. (laughs) You know, Skip says God takes the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He's not just saying that to make you laugh, it's really true. It's really true. Through mighty signs and wonders, he says in verse 19. God used signs and wonders not to bring Gentiles to faith in Christ, but rather as a platform, a stage, so that people would consider the claims of Christ. Signs and wonders in and of themselves, miracles, have rarely been an instrument of conversion. Well, uh, Martin Luther said, we preach always Him. This may seem a limited and monotonous subject, likely to be exhausted, but we're never at the end of it. People come here to Calvary and go, what do you guys do here? We teach the Bible. Well, what else? We pray. And what else? We reach out to the lost. No, no, everybody does those things. How come God's blessed you guys? No, really. We pray. We preach. We believe that God is able to transform lives. You see, God wants to use you to model hope for people in pain. And in order for you to model hope for people in pain, you have to live a strong and healthy life. Sheep can sometimes become casualties in a cruel world. Courageous involvement in people's lives requires hands-on encouragement and instruction. And unfortunately, some sheep prefer dangerous independence to safety beside the shepherd. In other words, some of you think, I come to Calvary Chapel and I slip in the back... And no one cares if I'm here, and no one cares if I leave. No one's going to know that I came, and no one's going to know that I left. You know what? You may feel that way, and to a certain extent, it may be true, but it should never be true. It should never be true. People wander off and refuse to allow God to lead them. They follow their own path. They make their own decision. And some people choose to live their own lives no matter how biblical your counsel, no matter how wise your instructions, no matter how sane and sensitive your service is. My shepherd's heart is always distressed when people wander off. But sometimes you have to let them. But you have to be ready to stand by because invariably you know what some some what will happen the sheep will go i want to come back let them and then a heart that carries christ look at verse 20 and 21 and so i've made it my aim to preach the gospel not where christ was named lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard shall understand. Way before Star Trek, Paul said, I want to go where no man has gone before. You know, I know Skip tells you sometimes, but we grew up in the Mojave Desert. In the Mojave Desert, it was basically in Apple Valley where Skip lived and where I lived. It was Roy Rogers... Dale Evans and us. I mean, to us, the most exciting thing was when the grocery truck came. And people would line the street and go, Oh, we're saved! Oh, thank God we're saved! We've got supplies! And, you know, we didn't get TV till late. And so, in the mid-60s, when Star Trek first came out, my brother would play Captain Kirk. And I would be everybody else on board. <laughs> that's why we do these voices like you sure, we will not be put on trial for the crimes of humanity. But that's what Paul's he goes way before anyone would go where anyone else had gone before, Paul says, I'm going to go only to those places that have never heard the Gospel. He quotes Isaiah 52.15. In its context, this is what the Scripture says, So shall he, speaking of Jesus, sprinkle nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at Him. For what had not been told, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they will consider. In other words, Paul's heart was a heart that desired to bring Christ to all the nations. You know what? That's why your pastor goes to India. That's why he'll go to South America. That's why he'll go to Eastern Europe. I know many of you think it's because Skip Heitzig has a death wish. <laughs> but it's really not true. He really genuinely cares about the condition of the people in this world. Do you know what? George Barna wrote, America has more unchurched people than the entire population of all but 11 of the world's 194 nations. That means right here in Albuquerque, Bernalillo, Berlin, as you go east, as you go west, as you go north, as you go south, there's still people who need Christ. I know, I spent a lot of time in Santa Fe. It's like a full on unreached people group up there. Yeah, you do. You have to have a passport. When I was coming here, they go, Oh, you're going to New Mexico. Oh, is your passport in order? I go, Look, it's in the United States of America. You see, when Paul is speaking, he says that there is a heart that's filled with compassion and courage that's called, that's committed to the things of God, that is willing to carry the gospel where the gospel needs to be. Do you remember what I said earlier? There are two kinds of people in this congregation. Those that need hope and those that have hope. And I know you came here this evening because that's what you do. You come to church. You hear the worship service. You hear the message. But some of you are desperate for hope. You need it right now. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe your husband or your wife has walked out on you. Maybe maybe you've been diagnosed with an illness. And you're wondering what the future holds for you. And you're wondering if anyone cares. By By the way, Let's say you're a person and you have no problems whatsoever. You have a life filled with hope. If you're a person and you have a life filled with hope, raise your hand. You're a person and you have a life filled with hope. Tell me and be truthful. You're a person and you love Jesus and you love the Lord, but you're facing some very difficult circumstances. And you need hope. You need hope now. Raise your hand. Those of you who have hope, look around. Look at the hands. Look at the hands that have gone up. I'm going to invite those of you who have hope to give it, and those of you who need hope to take it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you saw these hands. Heavenly Father, You know the circumstances that individuals are facing, men and women. They're crying out to You, Lord, because their hearts are being tried and tested. And Heavenly Father, I pray that by the power of Your Holy Spirit, You will encourage the saints to minister to one another. Lord, I pray that we will divide the sorrow so that we can share the joy. Lord, I pray that those who need hope would not just walk away and say, nobody cares. Lord, I pray that they will find someone who will pray with them and who will minister to them. And if you're a person who's living a life of hopelessness and helplessness apart from God, you don't even know if you're saved. You don't even know if you have a right relationship with Christ. You've never really accepted Jesus Christ. You've never received him. You've never been transformed. Just slip up your hand and I'll pray for you too. You can have a right relationship with God. You can experience forgiveness and reconciliation and peace. You can have forgiveness of sin and the knowledge that you're going to have and just slip up your hand I'll pray for you. God wants to change you just like He changed me. Praise the Lord. Thank you for that. Anyone else? If God can save me, He can save you. You're like no big deal. And Of course, you're a huge deal. But there is no sin so great that He can't transform it. Anyone else? Heavenly Father, I pray for those who have raised their hand, Lord. I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that they would pray this simple prayer in their own heart. God, you know me. You know my sin. It's horrible and terrible. And I need forgiveness. I want to walk away from my sin. I know that I can't save myself. I need Jesus inside of me to transform me and change me. Come into my heart. Come into my life. I need you. In Jesus' name.